Hi, and welcome back to OA On Air, the official podcast of O'Neill & Associates. I'm Kyan Isaacson. This week, we have 321Go with Cosmo Macero, an interview with Marshall Hook of WHDH and the Sports Hub, and in two minutes with Tom, we're talking the Patriots and the dynasty Bob Kraft built. Let's talk about something important. Welcome to 321 Go on OA On Air, our weekly look into the world of public affairs, culture, business, and the economy. I'm your host, Cosmo Macero. In this installment of 321 Go, it's that time again, the week of the big game, the pinnacle of American sports culture as defined by the National Football League. But does the future of sports in America rely on one of our most provocative and pervasive vices? Yes, we're talking about sports betting on one of the biggest sports betting weekends of the year. And have you ever been so intrigued and interested in your family tree that you signed on for one of the popular DNA analysis services that market heavily online and on television? You're not alone, and you may not be getting exactly what you think you're getting. Finally, why do Democrats hate every candidate that emerges to potentially challenge Donald Trump? Starbucks mogul Howard Schultz is the latest. We'll discuss this fascinating political phenomenon. Joining me here on 321 Go is Cayenne Isaacson. Hello. The official voice of OA on air. Cayenne, it's that special time of year. Tis the season. It's the big game. It is. You know what? I don't care about licensing and violating the NFL's uh, uh, mark, mar- marketing uh, you know, uh, agreements. I'm just going to say it right now. Super Bowl, Super Bowl, Super Bowl. How's that? <laughs> it's not the big game. It's the Super Bowl. It is. Okay. Super Bowl. Let's get to it. All right, Cayenne. So the U.S. Supreme Court uh, in 2018 really opened the floodgates on uh, opened the floodgates for sports betting in America. Um, and states, New Jersey first, uh, and others. Uh, in fact, Chris Christie, the governor of New Jersey, really had a, a major role in this. Am I correct about that? So the floodgates open on sports betting, and now states are systematically, Massachusetts included, addressing this uh, and figuring out legislation to uh, um, establish a business infrastructure around what obviously will be a huge industry. Honestly, just since... Uh, or since 1992 on an annual basis, just on football alone, in only a couple of jurisdictions, primarily Las Vegas, $30 billion a year wagered on, on just football, right? A lot of money. So think about now everything opening up. We're entering Super Bowl weekend, the big game weekend, uh, really rivaled only by, and significantly by March Madness, the, the NCAA uh, basketball uh, tournament, as, as one of the biggest sports gambling events in America. <clears throat> we enter this weekend. There's a lot of talk about this. The Massachusetts legislation is, uh, uh, is, is, is moving along. It was initiated by Governor Baker. There's already a sports book in Rhode Island at the Twin River Casino. Connecticut is, is, is arming up for this. They've got two casinos. It's all happening. <clears throat> um, and, and we can expect sort of the culture uh, of of uh, of sport and ga- and gambling in America to really absorb this uh, and 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 for the industry to take off. What does that mean for how people traditionally 
have, have wagered on sports in America, primarily underground, under the radar, not legally. Um, but there's a whole there's a whole industry of sublegal uh, gambling that's going on. Sublegal, right? That's yeah, sub, yeah. <laughs> the, 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 that's going on. What happens there? Um, well, so it's interesting because the, <clears throat> Governor Baker filed this bill earlier in, in January to legalize sports betting in Massachusetts. Um, there are a few other <clears throat> bills being sort of tossed around the legislature as well. And in his announcement, Baker said his proposal would generate $35 million in revenue in fiscal 2020 that would benefit local aid for Massachusetts communities, which is great. And, and by the way, don't completely rule out the idea that wherever there is a Kino terminal, or many that th- th- that may be part of the infrastructure too. It's not yeah. just could be Seven Eleven. Not just it could be it could be, and it might be. And I think the governor's proposal kind of leaves that open. The governor's proposal does leave it open as to what legalized sports betting is going to look like in the near term and I think the long term. Um, but really, you know, a big thing about gambling: if you gamble a lot of money, those are wages technically wages, that you are not having to report. So if you don't want to report thousands of dollars in winnings, um, you probably don't want to bet in a legalized manner. Uh, you have to put the money up, up front. You know, you've got to, got to know that you're good for it. That's not always the case when you use your local person um, or your, your neighborhood guy You know, or Kanye, lady. if you wanted to counsel people on <laughs> tax evasion, you might, you might have wanted to do this while the government shutdown was still happening. The IRS <laughs> is open for business, and here we are. <laughs> um, but it was, it's interesting because as it becomes legalized, there are so many really good opportunities for sure. what that means and how it's going to affect how, like our, hey, more aid for our communities in Massachusetts. That's phenomenal. Um, and I think we can all agree on that. And additionally, how it's really going to affect how the game is played and how people view the game. Is I think really, that's a, that's think a huge concern. I think there are protections, at least in the draft legislation, uh, against game uh, gambling on local, at least local or all, maybe all college sports, all college athletics, a, a sort of a a sad and unpleasant history here in in Greater Boston and particularly in Boston around uh, college sports being negatively impacted, uh, yeah. to use a euphemism, by 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 gambling. So that there are some protections that need to go in place. Um, the bill the, in Massachusetts is only for professional only sports. Only for professional sports. The, and, and the integrity of the game, it, it, it really is important, not just because, oh, we've got to protect the integrity of football, and because that completely uh, eradicates a, a level playing field for gambling, for gaming, if, if the outcome, of, if the outcome of, a, of an event can be impacted, right? That, that, that's why casinos uh, have such strict and rigid... Um, uh, regulations and, and, and processes around the integrity of their games, right? Yeah. To the point where people are routinely thrown out for, for trying to game the system or cheat or whatever it might be. And the story that we were reading that sort of started this conversation was a New York Times magazine story. And actually in it, they one of the things that I thought was really interesting was they noted that Professional players make so much money now that, like, the $5,000 that gets thrown at them to shave a couple points, like, they're not going to do that anymore. Yeah. No, one's throwing, no one's throwing the game for a couple thousand dollars. It's really a good point. Now, there, there could be other people that you can impact, like a referee. Like, refs, like, yeah. like, and like we've a, got enough referee like controversy. Like an equipment manager. 
with a football who could be inflated or deflated. Who knows, right? I can't believe you dare say that. How dare I? <laughs> but, um, yeah, that, that, I'm not trying to start a new conspiracy. But, yes, you're right. Uh, the, the idea of athletes as they allegedly were in, you know, 1919 with the Chicago White Sox, the Black Sox, athletes being compromised, professional athletes, they've kind of priced themselves out of that risk yeah. by becoming multi-multi-multi-millionaires uh, just, by, just by being on the team. Well, thank God we're playing, paying the multi-multi-millions for something, right? Absolutely. <laughs> All right, it's big game weekend, and... Um, Super Bowl. It's the Super Bowl, and um, yeah, sports gaming is uh, is infiltrating its way uh, in plain sight into American culture beyond just Las Vegas. All right, Cayenne, popular. DNA, sort of consumer-facing DNA tests, Ancestry.com, uh, 23andMe. A complete mapping of your genetic material, an absolute guide to exactly who you are, a complete, just, you know, comprehensive reading on this is everywhere and everyone that you came from, right? But is it really? Not really. Okay. <laughs> so an investigation by the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation suggests or shows actually that different companies with the same basic genetic material, for instance, identical twins submitting their DNA, which is identical, to different DNA analysis uh, services get different results. In fact, they sometimes vary widely. Uh, and, and, that, and that's because a lot of this... Um, while there is exact science involved, a lot, there's still a lot of estimating in terms of what that means. And the takeaway is kind of, this is not a comprehensive reading on who you are. It's a small window into a part of who you are. Yes. And I don't know that people really understand that. I don't think so. I think most people probably think it's pretty pretty accurate. You yeah. pay a hundred bucks, and, and you're like sending, a, a, sending spit in a tube, and there you go. You get to know everything about myself. It feels like knowing everything about me is probably worth more than a hundred bucks as your first red right? flag. Right. Hundred bucks, sixty bucks. I know everything about where I came from and every little uh, amazing. That feels like it should cost a couple thousand. Yeah. I never fully bought into it, only because I, I same thing. Like, and I haven't I, done it. My wife's done it. Others have done it. I have really? not done it myself, and I, I'm not that interested. I don't care that I know, much. I, I know where um, I'm from. But I think that there are people perhaps, like who have questions. Maybe they've been adopted. They don't know what their ancestry is. They don't know their biological background. I could see like it being valuable. Um, me personally, I have a general idea of where I come from, and that, that suffice for me. Um, but this is... It's a little suspect. When you, when you read this article, you kind of go like, okay, so they're kind of, th in essence, in some cases, almost throwing stuff against the wall. It seems that way. Oh, you're this part, you know, European, you're this part Italian, you're, you're, part of you comes from... And it's you know, based on others. That's the important thing. It's based, it's based, on, based on how many other people they can pull from their DNA to compare yours against. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> these, these are be better off having only one, first of all, one company. 
that everybody was competing. Yeah, because <laughs> yes. then no one would know that, that we'd all just think it, we'd all just think it was true. It's like actually our DNA. But the odds would increase of the accuracy if it's about pulling a cohort of people. Yeah. I don't know. It's all very scientific, and I was not good at science. <laughs> yeah. No. T- takeaway is sort of buyer beware. Yes. Um. And 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 that you should understand that this is again a window into who you are, a small window, but not necessarily or even at all this comprehensive snapshot. Of not a blueprint. Not a blueprint. All right, Cayenne. All right, up next is my uh, O'Neill & Associates colleagues, Ben Josephson and Hugh Drummond, actually both veteran political advisors, too. Um, ben and Hugh, thanks for joining us here on 3 to one go Real quick, Howard Schultz, former Starbucks CEO, latest to emerge as a potential challenger to President Trump. Um, your thoughts on that, but also kind of a parade of potential candidates we are seeing. And I feel that there's a dynamic that... Traditional Democrats and others just are immediately, for one reason or the other, saying, eh, no thanks. Uh, no one is exciting uh, people, and, and, and a candidate is not really emerging, and I wonder why. Well, I, the, I, I'll, I challenge your last point about no one exciting uh, the Democratic field. Kamala Harris had about 20,000 people show up to her opening in Oakland. So, But that being said, Good I think ha- Howard Schultz has had quite a, quite a 48 hours. Um, you know, a lot of criticism of his candidacy, and I'm not really going to pile on, except I'm going to just make two observations. The first is he's a lifelong Democrat. And I think it's a fair criticism that people are making to say, if you've got these views and you've been a lifelong Democrat, run in the Democratic primary. Put those views to a test. Instead, there's sort of a sense that he's trying to skip right to the final and not have to actually go through the primary process in order to be on the the ballot in the general election. And I think the second very valid criticism is that Given the fact that I think the, there was a recent poll out there that 56 percent of the electorate plans to not vote for the president for re-election, that Democrats sort of smell blood in the water and they see a third party candidate as only helping the president splitting that anti-Trump vote. Yeah, we uh, learned that lesson when Ross Perot ran for president. I, I don't understand why we can't learn that lesson and understand that that's the case. Interestingly, you, you say that because I think a lot of people are rehashing a lot of that analysis, and, and there was something that I read uh, in the last day or so that Perot drew equally from from Clinton and H.W. Bush voters. But but be that as it may, I think I think you're right in that, in that given the way that the Electoral College is structured, that there is really a very, for better or worse, there's a structural advantage to being in the two parties, uh, major parties, and that, and that an independent run by Schultz is highly, highly unlikely to be successful and highly likely to result in the re-election of the president. So, I mean, if you know, if that's if you're okay with that, then you know maybe you're for Howard Schultz's campaign. But I I think his theory of the case that as an independent candidate he would somehow unite you know disaffected Democrats and Republicans just isn't really borne out by the data. Yeah, Hugh Drummond, I feel like I guess Kamala Harris notwithstanding, Democrats just are hating everyone that emerges, including, and most recently, Howard Schultz, but also including Elizabeth Warren, also the retread uh, discussions of Hillary Clinton, also Bernie Sanders, you know, also also Joe Biden. Am I wrong? Yeah, you are. (laughs) I I think there are, um, uh, there's a lot going on right now. Number one, it's, uh, uh, you're going to have a lot more candidates get in. 
um, I think. But you are starting to see uh, a couple of things emerge. One is uh, we, we don't just have a single woman in the race. You have multiple women in the race. That's great. That's great for a party. We just saw uh, a lot of uh, that happen with the uh, midterm elections. Um, I will say this on the Howard Schultz front. You know, running for president is not easy. It's uh, it's certainly having having skills as a public servant uh, does help in when you then run for higher office. You also just can't buy a campaign. You can't buy. Uh, you you can pay for a field organization. You can pay for things, but you have to have a message. You have to have a message that that has an emotional connection with the voter. And so it's it's not about just having billions in the bank. And, you know, I, I think some of this will play out. He's he's not an announced candidate yet. You know, I think he's uh, testing the waters as, as several others are. Joe Biden's still on the sidelines. You know, he's he's also holding holding up. Great. All right. Gentlemen, any last word? No, I think the one the one other piece that I'd say to Hugh is that I think Democratic Party is going through a, a very, very different sort of self-examination of what it means, you know, to be in the mainstream of the party. And views that somebody like Joe Biden holds, you know, might have been more in the mainstream even four years ago um, with a party that seemingly is being uh, moving to the left on on a couple of key issues. The question for somebody like Biden is whether or not he is, is still electable um, in, a, in a primary. All right. Great observations. Hugh Drummond, Ben Josephson, thanks very much. Thank you. All right, Cayenne, another action-packed episodes in the books. Great talking with you as always. Fun as always. All right, thank you. That's going to do it for this week's edition of 321 Go. 321 Go is recorded in Studio 10A, just off the historic Tip O'Neill Room at our building in the heart of Government Center, Boston, Massachusetts. Thanks for listening. Goodbye till next time. I'm Cosmo Masera. That's all for 321 Go. Up next, an interview with Marshall Hook talking all things Patriots and the Super Bowl. All right. We're very fortunate to have as our special guest this week Marshall Hook, an assignment editor at WHDH Channel 7 and a weekend host on 98.5 The Sports Hub. Very distinctive weekend radio voice, Marshall Hook. Great to have you here. Distinctive. I like that uh, that descriptor. I'll take it. Distinctive and identifiable uh, and really terrific. So this is the big week, Marshall. Thanks for joining us. Um, uh, this is this is the big week, the big game. We were goofing around about that because it's the big game. It's the Super Bowl. Can you say Super Bowl? Can you not say it? Um, and... I hear you a lot on the weekends, uh, and, and, I, and I wonder, does the dynamic change, um, or how does the dynamic change in sports talk radio as the Patriots season, and, and, and there's, there's enough of us of, of an uh, of, of experience that we've had with all these, uh, all these great Super Bowl seasons, as the season gets closer and closer uh, to something like this, to the Super Bowl, to the big game, does the dynamic change with the callers and the programming and, and, and that kind of stuff. Well, I mean, obviously people are into it, and it doesn't matter that this is, you know, the third year in a row or the fourth time in five years or the ninth time of the Brady-Belichick era. They are still, uh, they being the fans, uh, you know, the callers, even those of us on the air, still as excited about it at some level. Um, it certainly makes the job easier. Like if we were in, I don't know, Cleveland, Cincinnati, 
Pittsburgh, a place where they didn't make the playoffs this year. I imagine the last few weeks would have been a lot harder to kind of talk your way through sports radio. Um, And for this year specifically, for these Patriots specifically, I think it's been exciting because I don't think a lot of people expected this. Not only because of the way last year ended with the Super Bowl loss and Malcolm Butler and all of that, but this year's Patriots did not look like past year's Patriots. When they lose back-to-back games in December, when they don't look like they're on the same page, when they're not acting the way Patriots have acted in the past, I don't think a lot of people saw this coming. Yeah, a couple things. Great great points. I mean, we're at that point where it's kind of an un, it's kind of an unlikely an unlikely appearance in the Super Bowl for the Patriots. A lot of people, myself included as just a fan, would not have predicted that. Um, uh, the the other thing is, you know, all of these years of success, um, the uh, with, with the Patriots as well as our other teams, the bar must really, really be high uh, for sports radio in Boston. A lot of things just just will never make the cut, right? And a lot of things will never make the cut to even get on the air because of all of the uh, embarrassment of riches and material that you have. I mean, I think a prime example of this, uh, last weekend I did uh, four hours with Ted Johnson on Sunday, which, you know, would be the day after the Celtics played the Golden State Warriors. And we didn't, in those four hours, mention the Celtics a single time. The Celtics, you know, took the Golden State Warriors to the last however many, two minutes, the game was still close on a Saturday night. Any other time of year, any other city in the country, that next day is four hours of Celtics talk, talking about this huge game against this huge opponent and what does it mean for a Celtics team that's been hit or miss at times this season. Boy, they look good last night. Nope, we didn't mention it at all. It was all Patriots from beginning to end in the weekend between, you know, two games. They didn't even have a game last weekend, but we didn't at any point discuss the Celtics. So that, if the Celtics almost beating the Golden State Warriors doesn't make the cut on Pro Bowl weekend, then it's going to be kind of hard for anything else to get in there when the Patriots are, you know, going to the Super Bowl. Yeah. I I get a sense just as a listener that the um – Calls are very important. Obviously, they're important in terms of you want they're part of your audience, and, and they're part of the programming. But I, I get a sense that the, um, the the level of importance of the caller to the programming has lessened uh, than maybe uh, some years ago, where where programs were really caller driven, and they were taking lots of calls, rapid fire, and, and it feels more selective now. Um, and, and I wonder, number one, is that is that true or my is that not really true? And, and, and if so, why? I mean, I think it varies wildly on the program. Um, you know, at our station, 98.5, I think the midday show and the night show uh, probably are a little more caller driven than the other ones. I think that the morning show, you know, they have a lot of other pre-existing elements, bits and guests and things like that, that'll tend to, to crowd out callers. And Felger and Maz is an animal all unto its own that I won't try to <laughs> dissect what makes that one work, but it works. And so they have days where they take more callers and days when they take less. They can go an hour without taking a caller and then it will take six or seven in the six or seven minutes. So it varies wildly. I will tell you on the weekend, um, obviously, you know, there are not as many people listening. And I know that Speaking just for myself, I love the callers because, you know, if you and I are going to sit down and do four hours of radio, 
Well, I mean, honestly, how much can you and I really find new ground to talk about, not necessarily to disagree on, but at least have a different enough point of view that we can have a discussion? You know, because if it's just you and me agreeing, that's not going to make for a compelling anything to listen to, to call into anything. So callers often will drive, you know, new energy into the show. You and I have made our points. Oh, here comes Joe from Quincy who's going to call in and he's got something we didn't even think about. Well, now that may only take up, you know, two minutes of airtime, but now that'll give us new fuel um, and something to talk about, a new direction that we hadn't thought about. So even the interspersed rare caller can really serve to kind of fuel the conversation forward. And then if you have lots of them, well, all the better. I mean, at that point, it just, from a pure lazy standpoint, then it becomes easy because I just hit the button and go, you know, you're up next, you're up next, and I can rip off a segment without doing almost any work whatsoever. (laughs) We're talking to Marshall Hook from 98.5, the Sports Hub Weekend host, also Channel 7 uh, assignment editor. What goes into kind of the, 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 the standard prep for a show? And then also, in terms of informing your, your overall knowledge of sports, how, you know, do you describe yourself as the above average knowledgeable sports fan or, or much above average? Do you dive deep into box scores and stats or all that stuff? I think that the hosts, I mean, every host at the Sports Hub, I don't think we have a single host who can say that they are a full-fledged, you know, deep, knowledgeable fan of all four sports. So we tend to kind of fall into, he's a football guy, he's a basketball guy, and I'll bet you virtually everyone there could rank from one through four their knowledge of the big four sports. So when it comes to me, for instance, I'm a baseball guy, first and foremost, then the Patriots, then the Celtics, and I I barely watch the Bruins play. Um, So what I have found that I can do, and I think this is probably the approach a lot of people take, is, you know, if if we're in July and you're going to have a conversation with me about the Red Sox, then I can really drill down. I can, you know, talk you, you know, into bench depth and, you know, minor league guys and that stuff. And if you and I are going to have a conversation about the Bruins, well, then I'm probably going to go much for the, you know, from 35,000 square feet up, like up there. I'm going to talk about themes, you know, coaches, you know, free agency in and out. I can't tell, you know, about the second line and the third line. And, you know, I can't tell you who they have playing in Providence. I can't tell you, you know, in depth about the young guys. And so there's this kind of range from what I can talk about from baseball to what I can talk about from hockey. And therefore, if I'm in a program, you know, and and somebody's going to call in with a Bruins question that I can't handle, A, I'm going to hope you can, or the headlines guy can, or I am just going to try to reframe the question and say, well, listen, I honestly don't know about this guy that you've just mentioned, but in general, I can tell you that on offense, this, or in goal, that, and coaching does this. And so it's a little bit of molding it to my own knowledge. Hopefully I do that well enough and seamlessly enough that it's not obvious yep. that uh, when it comes to hockey, I'm, I'm kind of, uh, you know, swimming without a paddle. You're not a big fan of the Daytona 500, as I understand. Uh, yeah, listen, NASCAR, I know that they have very pretty cars and lots of colors and, and numbers on the top. Uh, <laughs> but that's about it. Um, it, it let, let's t- so we're coming in on Super Bowl weekend. Let's talk about this game, what the keys are to the game, what you think, um, and, 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 and how you think this might turn on. I'm not going to ask you to make any, any kind of hard prediction, 
I know I know what I think, um, but what what are your thoughts on where this game is going to go? What it'll look like? Uh, you know, listen, I I um, I had this problem with the last game, Kansas City versus the Patriots. I looked at it and I said these teams are just so equally talented. They may be differently talented. You know, I think the Patriots' defense was better than Kansas City's offense, but in a lot of ways, Kansas City's offense had, you know, a wider variety of tools. And and so I was really just trying to break it down. And, and what I came to is I can't pick one team from the other, so I'm going to pick Kansas City by three because they're playing at home. I am kind of in the same place on these two teams. I think that these two teams are more different than Kansas City and New England were. Yeah. Um, I definitely think that it's almost undeniable that New England has a better offense than than the L.A. Rams do. They may have a better, you know, running back. I don't know how much he's going to play. He didn't play a lot in the NFC Championship game. Is he healthy? Is he a head case? We don't know. Um, but then again, the Rams have a pretty good defense that's been pretty solid, uh, you know, all year long. And so as I look at it, I once again say these are very balanced teams. They have different strengths from each other, but very balanced so what I'm giving the edge to, whereas last week I gave the edge to Kansas City for playing at home, I was wrong, obviously. Um, I'm giving the edge to experience. I mean, when it comes to the New England Patriots, it is, you know, it's it's not big enough to say they've been there, but they've been there and been there and been there and been there. There is no surprise waiting for the New England Patriots, even if you're, you know, a rookie like Sony Michelle who's not been there, um, or Jason McCourty who's not been there. You are surrounded by people who have been there so many times that I'm pretty sure they're going to do a good job of getting people ready for what's coming. One of the things that uh, this past weekend I was on with Ted Johnson, who was obviously a former Patriot, three-time Super Bowl winner. And one of the questions I asked him is, you know, we always hear about the distraction of Super Bowl week. What what does that actually look like? I mean, what is the distraction? And he said the single biggest distraction, it's not the media. It's not, you know, the stadium. It's it's family and friends. Like yep. like you and I would deal with it. You know, I'm the, they're all coming to my wedding. And so I got to worry about what hotel they're staying in and whether yep. or not they Check can get in to see that. the show. That's what it's about. You know, they're there to do their job, but they have all this family coming in. And so they're dealing with getting them tickets and getting them into this, that, and the other thing. And he said, that's the biggest distraction. So that's exactly the kind of thing that the Patriots as an organization will recognize. And they'll say, listen, you know, Sony Michelle. We understand you haven't been here before. You just send all your family over to Joe Blow. He's going to take care of all that stuff. Yeah, that, I, you I, don't worry about I it. I would like hire some temporary personal assistant for two weeks just to take care of all that. And, and I'm going to go ahead and bet the New England Patriots organization has seen to that because, again, they've experienced this over and over again. So in the end, I'll give you a prediction. You didn't ask for one. I'm it, A lot of people think it's higher scoring than I think it's going to be. I'm going to go ahead with the Patriots 27-24. There you Sounds go. Great. They never win by a lot of points in the Super Bowl. It's always yeah. uh, under uh, under a possession. For, for what it's worth, which is really not much at all, I look at this two ways. Number one, and and maybe there's really no such thing as intangibles, but and I feel there's an intangible here, and that is, I feel like the Patriots feel like they have to win this game, and and they always probably feel like that. I guess about a, about a big game, but. This one, the stakes are really, really high if they win the game and really just sort of cement their place and uh, completely, not that they haven't already. I feel like they think they have to win this game. And then on the field, just as an observer, a casual fan, it may not have been this way all year, but I feel like the last couple games in the playoffs and even at the end of the season, the offensive line has been just eating defenses for lunch. And 
I think that'll neutralize the Aaron Donald and Andomic and Sue and that, that, that rush that they've got uh, on the Rams. And that's going to make the difference because the Patriots are using the run game. It's going to give Brady the ability to do things because he gets rid of the ball quickly. So I feel like the Patriots are going to win this game. I'm not smart enough to pick a score, but your score sounds good. Um, But I feel like the Patriots are going to win this game. And if you're talking about an intangible, I know that when they were losing on the road all year long, and even some of the games at home, what people noticed and what I noticed is they didn't have what we'll call fire. Like, you know, a play goes well, it goes poorly. They just seem to have a very business-like approach. They weren't emotionally invested in these games mid-season. That seems to have turned somewhere around Buffalo or the New York Jets at the end of the season, and they have definitively been on fire against the Chargers and against, you know, the Chiefs. You saw a passionate, invested team that we didn't see for a lot of the season, and I think I don't know what the driver is. I don't know where that passion is coming from or where it was lacking earlier in the season. But in terms of peaking both probably skill position, health-wise, and emotionally at the right time, I think the Patriots are there. Excellent. All right. We've been talking to Marshall Hook, weekend host, 98.5 The Sports Hub. Marshall, thank you very much for coming all the way from across the street. All the way. The shortest commute I've ever had. All the way across the street to join us here in OA on Air. Really appreciate it. No problem. All right. Take care. And now, two minutes with Tom. Hi, Cayenne. Hi, Tom. Away on air. Away on air. Two minutes with Tom. Two minutes with Tom. Back at it. It's never two minutes, though. It's always five or three or 15. Yes, but that doesn't sound as catchy as two minutes with Tom. Gotcha. It's it's a wishful thought as well in in your mind. It is not wishful. Not at all. I enjoy our chats. This week, Super Bowl. I hope it's about the Patriots. Big game. It's the big game, I think, is what we're supposed to call it. I want you to think Dynasty. That's what I want you to think. Okay. That's the word. That's the word. That is ninth, the word on the street. Ninth, ninth Super Bowl in the in the Brady Belichick era. Not mm-hmm. bad. It, not too shabby. Not bad. With uh five wins? Five wins, three losses. So it's yeah. uh it's gonna be six and three or five and four. Um regardless, it it doesn't matter. It they've given us some of the greatest sports moments in in Boston and Massachusetts and New England history. It's been great. And really it all started with with Bob Kraft. It did. The Patriots I, yeah, I think I think nobody should be should lose mind of that. I mean, it's uh, Bob Kraft had the sight, the insight, oh, twenty years ago, twenty odd years ago, to buy the New England Patriots and do with them as he has. He's made them one of the great dynasties in all of sports history. And uh, feathers in his cap and 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 Jonathan's cap. They've done a great job. And really, they've changed, obviously, the Patriots um, for for the better, but the business that they've built as a result. That's um, right. Not, not only have they changed the face of New England football, but they've changed the face of how people view sports. More importantly, they've, they've changed the face as well of some geography around Foxborough, Massachusetts. It's just not the same community that it once was Mm-mm. with Patriot Place and all the activities, whether it's in that in that dome of opportunity and 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 energy that you find that they've built, but the whole of that uh, of that geography, that greater Foxborough community, has been something just fabulous. So, if if you're Bob Kraft, what do you do next? Well, I, I think what Have he's you checked all the boxes. I think I I don't think to say that Bob Kraft has checked all the boxes or done everything in his bucket list 
would be a stretch. Um, you know, he's a real entrepreneur who continues to think. I'm, I'm sure he's making every contribution he can to expand the NFL globally as best he possibly can because his excitement well beyond the boundaries of the United States for American football, number one. Number two, he's built a couple of great businesses, certainly. Uh, and, and I think as importantly, he's got, he's got uh, the soccer team, which is really very important to him as well. He's looking for a home for it, and I think he's looking to expand that into the consciousness of Greater New England as well. And with ever and never missing a step really in his philanthrop- like philanthropic efforts too. I mean, it's all so tied into who he is and who the Patriots are and what kind of a business and a team. Um, it all is very intertwined. I it's, think in it's, the um, world, you know, his legacy will be that he was that he was a lot of things. He was an entrepreneur, uh, a very gifted man, a smart man somebody who cares about his roots, his family, his God, his, uh, his Israel, and his United States. He loved it all. Um, but the philanthropy really comes more from his marriage to his, his wife, Myra, whose family were great philanthropists uh, well, beyond, well before Bob uh, came into their family. Um, but has only kind of made it blossom and flower uh, since uh, he's been married to Myra and a kudos to him, like I said, he's done a great job. So, will you watch the game this weekend? I would not watch this game this weekend. Where will you be watching the game from? I, uh, somewhere. I, I think I'm going skiing up in Vermont, so it's okay. probably going to be up in Vermont with some friends. All right. And uh, How about you? What are you going to do? I'm going to watch it. I'm going to watch it at home. I have a five-year-old, you know. Yep. Like, it's a late game. Nothing, nothing terribly <laughs> exciting. It's too late to do anything fun and interesting. Oh, that's great. But um, good luck to the Patriots. And uh, we are we are cautiously optimistic, right? Absolutely. So as we sign off, sign off. Let's just say, go pets. There you go. Thanks, Tom. That's it for this week's episode of OA on Air. Don't forget to subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or SoundCloud, or check us out on our own O'Neill and Associates website. On behalf of O'Neill & Associates, go Patriots. Talk to you next week.